This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, September 30th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Akio Toyota says California and U.S. EV targets will be hard to achieve. South Carolina plants are closed with the arrival of Hurricane Ian. Plus, CarMax used car sales fall and shares take a tumble. And we'll hear a conversation about what it would mean for banks if auto lending is made part of the Community Reinvestment Act. If you're a large bank and you have 15% of more of your portfolio in auto, then you're looking at all of these additional responsibilities and additional costs. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota CEO Akio Toyota told me and other reporters yesterday that ambitious California or U.S. EV sales targets will be hard to achieve. Speaking through an interpreter in Las Vegas, Toyota said California's rule banning sales of gasoline-burning vehicles by 2035 might not be realistic. And he said a possible national goal of 50% zero-emission vehicles by 2030 would be very difficult. Of course, uh, we have to look at the uh, current price range and infrastructure uh, availability and so also at what speed. But having not seen any concrete announcement, I think 50% being the best mandate uh, seems rather difficult. Toyota also said regulations requiring a specific technology can have unintended consequences. And that in itself, uh, from my perspective, uh, tend to narrow the options available for solutions, solutions bringing to carbon neutrality, and that is quite regrettable. And uh, would that make our users happier? It's quite questionable. Longer term, Toyota sees hydrogen combustion as a compelling offering. In the short term, he suggests hybrids may provide the greatest good. As the head of the world's largest automaker speaks out against ambitious EV mandates, Another large state in the U.S. is backing those kinds of policies. New York plans to adopt California's rules that would require all new vehicles sold in the state by 2035 to either be electric or a plug-in electric hybrid. Governor Kathy Hochul made the announcement yesterday. Hochul has directed a state environmental agency to propose and finalize rules adopting California's plan. It sets zero-emission vehicle requirements starting in 2026 that phase out gasoline-only new car sales by 2035. The agency will hold a public hearing before the rules are finalized. Mercedes-Benz and Volvo are idling their South Carolina plants because of Hurricane Ian. The Mercedes plant near Charleston employs about 1,600 workers who build the Mercedes Sprinter and Metris vans. Volvo's plant near Charleston employs about 1,500 people producing the Volvo S60 midsize sedan. On Thursday, Hurricane Ian was downgraded to tropical storm status, but returned to sea and was a Category 1 hurricane looming off the South Carolina coast as of early this afternoon. The Weather Channel reports that wind, storm surges, flooding, and tornadoes were expected along the Atlantic coast from the Carolinas to Virginia. 
And used vehicle retail giant CarMax says it sold fewer used vehicles in its second fiscal quarter. Financial pressures affecting retailers in the used vehicle market haven't gone anywhere, which contributed to a 56% year-over-year slide in net income for CarMax. It brought in about $126 million in the quarter that ended on October 31st. The company's net revenue in the quarter was $8.1 billion, up 2% from a year before. The result sparked a steep sell-off in CarMax shares and weighed heavily on the stocks of its peers, as well as auto manufacturers and suppliers. CarMax closed 25% down in Thursday trading. Carvana and Sonic Automotive shares also tumbled. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, after your conversation with Akio Toyota, do you think Toyota was playing it safe for not immediately jumping into EVs? Absolutely. You know, Toyota was an early investor in Tesla and they had access to Tesla's battery packs. And when they tried to offer them, you know, they were so expensive that Toyota didn't want to lose thousands of dollars on each one. So they became very expensive versions of the RAV4, couldn't sell very many of them. They just didn't want to risk too much by going too fast into what is still really expensive technology. The powertrain on an EV costs eight to $10,000 more than a regular car. That would really change the equation for a company like Toyota. And it's something he's uh, reluctant to do until they really can see a path to doing so sustainably on a financial basis, as well as an environmental basis. He's a safe businessman. Uh, coming up, big banks might soon need to follow additional auto lending requirements. We'll hear from an expert about what the proposed changes to the Community Reinvestment Act would mean for auto lending. Next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Congress passed the Community Reinvestment Act in 1977 to encourage banks and savings associations to lend money to low and moderate income households, mostly for mortgages but proposed changes to the law might soon include requirements for auto lending. That would fundamentally alter the strategic landscape for banks. Caroline Eisner, financial services and products lawyer for the law firm Alston & Bird, explains what the new regulations might mean. She spoke with our own Dan Shine. Caroline, 
Thanks for joining us on the FNI Friday edition of Daily Drive. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. So a little, as a little bit of background for our listeners out there. In 1977, Congress passed the Community Reinvestment Act. It's to encourage banks and savings associations to lend to low and moderate income households. Uh, but recently, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp, and the Office of the Controller of the Currency are seeking to change the regulations to include auto lending as a category for low and moderate income individuals. Experts say if enacted, the new regulations would change the strategic landscape for banks. Banks with assets over $10 billion might need to follow additional automobile lending, data collection, and reporting requirements. Opponents say they are, there are better ways to increase automotive lending to low and moderate in income populations. And Caroline is here to help us make sense of it all. Caroline, what are the possible results if this new regulation is enacted? I mean, there are quite a few for, for auto um, lenders. I think the emphasis on auto lending will be increased. Um, and the question is whether or not that increase will be handled by banks or by you know, non-bank lenders. So the, the idea is to increase credit to LMI individuals and LMI households. Historically, CRA has done a good job of increasing credit to LMI individuals and LMI um, households through focusing on mortgage building, focusing on small business lending, trying to reinvest in communities where banks are drawing their deposits from. That was the idea of CRA entirely. The question is whether uh, extending it to auto makes sense. Right. This, I guess, would include kind of more an enhanced scrutiny, potentially, of banks that have an auto lending portfolio. Correct. So that's where... Um, the market shift, I think, is, is probably going to take place. So under the currently proposed uh, set of regulations, they are not finalized. They were out for a comment period, um, banks and financial institutions and community advocates. The, the public was invited to comment for um, a period of time. That time has closed. And so now the regulators are evaluating the comments. The idea is if you have a large percentage of your portfolio as a bank, CRA only, only uh, applies to banks. If you're a bank and you have a large percentage of your portfolio right now, 15% or greater, your uh, portfolio, that portion of auto lending would be subjected to quantitative reporting and performance metrics. And so very large banks are all of a sudden going to have data keeping, marketing, sales strategies, all of these things will be subjected to scrutiny and the non-banks will not have that, you know, that added pressure and those added costs associated with them. So if you're a large bank and you have 15% of more of your portfolio in, in auto, then you're looking at all of these additional responsibilities and additional costs. If you're right around the 15% um, threshold, you might want to revisit whether or not you're going to continue in the auto lending sphere. If you're near the threshold, if you were trying to grow in that in that um, area, you might rethink that. Yeah, it seemed like a, a possible another result would be just driving some of the bank's market share down, and that they may not want to, you know, be bothered with with this, you know, enhanced, you know, oversight. I think that's right. I mean, the question is whether this is the right way to increase credit to LMI individuals, and whether the CRI CRA is the right vehicle to do it. CRA is mostly concerned with um, 
you know, wealth building. It, it goes back to anti-redlining. Um, and so you're trying to build wealth and, you know, things that increase that, you know, mortgages. So home ownership, small businesses, investing in small businesses and small farms. Um, you know, if you're looking at uh, investing in auto, it, it's a it's a depreciating asset. Right. It's not it's not a wealth building mechanism. So the, the question is, why has auto been um, singled out to be included in CRA's uh, ambit? And, um, you know, if, if it is going to be included as a mandatory part of CRA, then should it be subjected to the same um, quantitative uh, metric evaluation standards that the other areas of a bank's portfolio, such as mortgage and small business lending, for example, um, or should it be considered more qualitatively? Are there theories out there why auto lending was all of a sudden tossed into its potential thing for CRA? You know, it's it's funny. It's um, it's an important consumer product. Um, there are there are certainly aspects um, of auto lending that if you think about it, you know, um, auto loans provide uh, access to jobs sometimes, you know, so if you, if an individual needs a car to get to their job, um, that's certainly a way that auto loans can help meet a credit need of an LMI individual. That's less necessary in um, cities where there are public transit options. Um, and there's not been really a demonstration of an unmet need. That's kind of where the banks are coming from, which is to say, you know, this kind of seems out of the blue. There isn't a ton of justification other than to say that, LM, that, that auto loans are important to LMI individuals. Um, it's not that they're not important. It's just the question of whether a CRA is the right way to incentivize additional credit. Yeah. And it would seem that a, pot a potential impact, a result of this could be maybe fewer loans made uh, to LMI folks. And that would seem to be kind of grinded against what they're trying to accomplish here. I mean, I think it's a question of who's going to be doing the lending. In my opinion, I think it's going to drive down bank market share because dealers aren't going to want to collect all of this data. You know, it's, it, there's very little, uh, you know, the, the bank portion of auto finance um, is that the market is just, just not huge. And dealers, I think, may want to go with a different um, financing company instead of going with a bank. It may drive down bank market share and drive up non-bank lenders. Because um, if you think about it, it's, it's all indirect auto, right? For, for a bank, it's indirect auto. It's going through the dealership. And I know these are still kind of proposed changes, but if they're enacted, is there a kind of timeline that you've heard about or when, when these might be implemented? How soon? So I've heard that um, there is a push to, to make it final. There's certainly um, time pressure to, to get it out there. Um, you know, I had heard rumblings that they were going to try and do it by the end of this year. I'm not sure, you know, based on more recent conversations that I've had in, in, in the area, whether or not that's going to be realistic or if it's more realistic to expect it uh, to come final next year. And then there's an implementation period. Is that implementation period going to be one year, two years? Um, I think that remains to be seen. It's a uh, it's an open question as to when, once it's finalized and then how long the implementation period is going to be. I can say most banks are pushing for at least a two-year implementation period and are hoping that it won't come in to, to be final until 2023, in which case it wouldn't be until 2025 that all of this becomes 
uh, finalized and, and uh, in effect. And a lot can happen in, the, in that time frame. <laughs> a lot of things could change. <laughs> um, and finally, are there things that banks can do to kind of get ready for this if this becomes, in fact, uh, enacted? Absolutely. I think once you once it's once it's finalized, or even potentially before, uh, banks are getting ready for CRA to change uh, not only in this area but in many other areas. Um, and so the the idea is to really kind of get get the budget, get get on the get on your senior leadership's radar. Make sure you've got budget set up because there's going to be a lot of data gathering and a lot of systems changing uh, that's going to be required. And sometimes you know you need to set your budget a year in advance, and so you really need to get on on top of the calendar there um, to make sure that you've got money to do it and resources to do it. If you need IT support, you kind of have to lay everything out. Um, and then start thinking about your bank's strategy and having uh, meetings with senior leadership about the bank's portfolio, where you can get CRA credit um, going forward. That's going to change uh, how you're going to be evaluated as an institution. Um, the importance of, of complying with CRA is that if you do not comply with CRA and you get what they, you know, a less than satisfactory grade on your CRA examination, uh, you can, it, it seriously curtails your retail operations. It keeps you from merging. It keeps you from acquiring other banks. It keeps you from opening and closing branches. It's, it's, a, uh, it, it's a real stick for, for not complying with CRA for banks. Interesting to, be, to watch this all unfold and see what, what happens. But in the meantime, Caroline, uh, thanks so much for the conversation. Really great insight and information. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Caroline Eisner is a financial services and products lawyer for the law firm Alston & Bird. She spoke with Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on finance and insurance, carbon emissions regulations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with recently retired Ford Chief Industrial Platform Officer Hao Tai Tang about the pivotal role he has played at the automaker and why he's leaving now. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.